We're going to be reading from Colossians chapter 1, which is page 1251 in the Pew Bible. Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to be starting with verse 15. I'll give you a second to find that, and when you do find it, if you would stand in honor of God's word as we read. title of this section is The Preeminence of Christ. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You may be seated as we pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, come before you, we're here to worship you, and we thank you for your word and the power of your word. Lord, I just pray that the words that we just read will just resonate in the hearts of those who have uh, heard that. Lord, we know your word does not return void. But even as we think about that passage, Lord, we just thank you for your sovereignty. As we look at what goes on right now in this world, we thank you. We just thank you that you are sovereign and in control and have ordained all of it. Lord, we don't doubt that. And so we just praise you as we can gather today and have that freedom to worship. As we have uh, sang these worship songs, Lord, I pray that our heart was focused on singing them to you and focused on those words. As we've read scripture, Lord, I just pray that the focus would be on you and all that you have done. And Lord, you've loved us so much that you came to this earth and that the gospel goes forth that you lived a sinless life, but yet uh, you were accused and uh, hung on a cross. But Lord, that was part of your plan. And three days later, you rose again. And now you've ascended to heaven and we look forward to the time where we will be with you. And so we just pray that that will be our focus this morning. Lord, we do pray for those who cannot be here for various reasons, uh, sick, some who are uh, away. We think of those who have traveled uh, to different homes for the winter. We have others who are quarantining. and So, Lord, we just pray for them. We just pray that uh, they would be focused on your word, that they would hear your word, they'd be in your word, and just be challenged to draw closer to you. We thank you for those who are here. I just pray that your Holy Spirit right now will be preparing their hearts to uh, hear what you have uh, challenged Pastor Stephen to share with us. We just thank you for his faithfulness. Just pray that you'll guard his heart, guard his tongue. Lord, that the words that he speaks will be uh, uh, what you want us to hear this morning. So just prepare our hearts for this time. 
We just thank you and praise you for who you are and that you are in control of all things. In your name, amen. Children, you can be dismissed to Sunday school. Bob stayed. <laughs> well, it is a joy to be in the Lord's house together and uh, to look at his word together, to worship together. Uh, let me just invite you to open your Bibles uh, just a few few pages um, where you were in Colossians to the book of 1 Thessalonians. The book of 1 Thessalonians. <clears throat> read this, um, came across this Puritan prayer this morning. I won't read the whole thing, but just part of it was just really good, and I just wanted to share it with you. So um, uh, the prayer is from David Clarkson, who says, Lord, I would be the most miserable person in the world if my hopes were only in this life. Why? Because I am hopeless without Christ's righteousness. My life could never be comfortable and there would never be hope, all, uh, no hope at all of eternal life. He goes on and concludes his prayer saying, Lord, however you deal with me in outward things, whatever you take from me, whatever you deny me, do not deny me Christ. Do not deny me share in his righteousness. Amen. What a, uh, what a focus uh, that prayer was and just reminded me the joy and the fullness that we find in Jesus Christ. Uh, what can we Gain in this world, if we gain the whole world and lose our souls, Jesus said. And the answer to that is nothing. Um, but what do we gain when we gain Christ? We gain everything, right? Amen. Well, we've been looking at the book of First Thessalonians for 16 different Lord's Days. Uh, and the letter was written to a particular church in a particular season during difficulty. And the situation was around them. And Paul wrote to encourage them. Uh, and exhort them in different areas of life and things that we've seen throughout these past uh, three, four months, however long we've been looking at it together. I want to say this because it often comes to our mind. We ask the questions, I know, in, in conversations I've had with others and, and elders and, and preachers, we talk, what do we do uh, when, when stuff gets hard? What do we do when the, we live in an environment that is hostile to the gospel, when they start shutting doors to churches and start censoring what you say and, and what you don't say what do we do when they threaten to take tax exempt status and different things like that as a church what do we do uh, and we wonder about these things like it is a novel idea and yet what we find in god's word was written to many churches facing similar circumstances if not much much worse such as the case with the church here in thessalonica who's facing opposition and pressure from outside uh, and even false teaching on the inside. We come to God's word, we read it, and, and we trust God through those times. So there's a, a good connection for us. And I'm so amazed when you go through uh, a letter, as we do as a church, how God uses that in our life and how it, it is just fitting with what's going on in the world around us. Uh, and the book of First Thessalonians has been no... Uh, no ex or has been... Uh, the same way as we've been going through it. There is something I want to challenge you with as you look at this, uh, and 
uh, to do maybe this evening or tomorrow as you begin your Monday. Uh, Be reminded that this was written a letter to the church to be read to the church. And so they would they would receive the letter and they would read it to the people and it would take you about 12, 15 minutes to read this out loud to yourself or to those in your family. So take some time just to read it in, in its fullness. Uh, and it just kind of brings all the pieces together. Sometimes when you take so long going through a book of the Bible, it, it tends to disconnect one part from another. So take some time to, to really look and see how God has put this letter together and this word of encouragement. For a time this morning, I want to ask you to turn in to your Bibles in chapter number 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verse number 11. We'll begin reading there and read to the end of the chapter. Well, let's go back to verse number 1 of chapter 5. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for You are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep we might live with him what a great what a great verse that is and promise therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work be at peace among yourselves and we urge you brothers admonish the idle Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil now may the god of peace himself sanctify you completely may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ he who calls you is faithful he will surely do it i don't think there's any any more beautiful words to hear in the word of god than something as what we've just read Uh, in verse number 24 he who calls you is faithful he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Pray with me. Father, we again come into your presence so thankful for your grace, so thankful for this time we can gather together around your word. Lord, just pray that you'd speak to our hearts, open our eyes, and 
and be glorified in the work you do in us in this day. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Some of you might have had this shared experience. I know I have faced the frustration of thinking your spiritual life is something akin to the New Year's resolution. So you get your Bible and you get a highlighter or a pen and a notepad and you, you get in to it and you say, I'm going to do it right this time. And so you start reading maybe Paul's letters or whatever and you get all the commands and maybe you take a few notes and journal in your book and, and you close the book and are shortly reminded that your life living in the present world is sometimes disconnected from what you just read. Where it says love or, or kindness or, or charity and all the commands it gives to you, you find within conversation of someone or, or an event that goes on in your life, your response to those things are far from what you just read. There, there is in that kind of tension of disconnect that we face. Now, I, wanna, I just bring that out because of the substance of what he's talking about here in this uh, prayer that he prays that we'll look at in the moment. But let's be honest that sometimes we look at salvation as if God is like the tow truck guy. He comes and gets us out of a ditch. Maybe he fills our tire up with air and, and puts it even in our GPS, the coordinates to get to heaven. And then he says, go on, I hope you make it fine. You know, just stay out of the ditch. Uh, many people live their Christian life that way. As if God is somehow just putting us on a swing and giving us a push and then the rest of the work belongs to us and us alone. It all lays on our shoulder. Nothing more, I think, in viewing the life, Christian life, like that uh, can lead to frustration. Um, I don't think you could have anything other or anything else more frustrating than looking at life like that. As if it all rests on your shoulders and all of it is, is up to you. Now, it is not only that idea of leading us to frustration, it also leads us to the opposite of that, some kind of big-headedness. You know what that is, right? You, you kind of get too big for your britches or you just can't fit into the room because you've reached some kind of spiritual experience. And, and yet in all of that, we miss the idea of what Paul is calling us to. In this letter, he's continually prodding and encouraging these believers along to one direction. We see it over and over and, and pointing out back in chapter number four, it is for their sanctification. Yes, he is encouraging them and coming to, to infuse them with courage, but so that they could stand fast, stand faithful in their Christian walk and testimony in the world and uh, and even in chapter number 4 saying this is the will of God for them. We just read in chapter number 5, 17 commands he gives the people of God. We look at these. This is what he's calling us to do. Uh, to respect those and to esteem them and to admonish and encourage and be patient. And sometimes we live like all of that is our doing. Mustered up by our own power and our own ability. And... Uh, and sometimes in that process, we get it wrong. We get it wrong. Well, we're looking at the subject this morning in verse 23 and 24 as we conclude this book. And it's rightfully uh, in its place, not just because of the inspiration or the spirit of God, because it brings us back to all of his encouragements and how we're to live this out, how we're to live this life. And that is based upon the power and the work of God. Before we look at verse number 23, just let me give you a definition of sanctification because it's a clunky word, right? We don't use it every day like, uh, like I'm going to go get a cup of coffee and we're going to talk about sanctification. We don't say stuff like that. And we use it in Bible studies. We're using it in our Bible study in the men's group. But, but it's kind of awkward. 
You know, it just doesn't sit right on our kitchen table in some ways. And yet the word simply means holiness. The process or the action by which we are being made holy or becoming holy. Sanctification is that, that process as we look in the word of God in which we are becoming holy. And so we use other words or other words are suitable to cover that. That is our consecrated. We're being consecrated to God, devoted made sacred, all of these reflect the same common theme in the word of God. Going back to Peter's words, be ye holy for I am holy. That command God has given from the Old Testament. Now, traditionally, there's three dimensions of sanctification in the New Testament. One we see is definitive, as one theologian refers to it, or it is declared about us at our salvation. We're set apart in Jesus by the gospel at salvation. So let me just say that that has happened. If you're born again this morning, you are set apart in Jesus by the gospel at salvation. You have been sanctified. There's many places you can look at in the word of God for that. I just want to give you one verse, which I think sums it up very clearly for us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse number 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth. Now that's their location. And that's where they're at. It's the church of God there in that town. To those sanctified, set apart, made holy, that's the word, in Christ Jesus, they're called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Now that is, uh, that's got a lot in it. We won't unpack that other than to say this sanctification happens as we are born again. We are put into Christ Jesus. We're set apart. He's called us out of darkness into light, and this happens as we are converted or regenerated in that process. The third of which is mentioned in our text here and and what some refer to our glorification, that moment when what is declared about us, what is began in us, is consummated. We will be like him. That's what John tells us, right? Uh, Amen about that. We will see him as he is. And so there is a moment in time where we will come before him. Paul prays for that here in our text, this return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we will see him be conformed into his image, completely set apart uh, from even the hindrances in our own life in this flesh. But the second in between those two is what we've referred to or what we can see as progressive sanctification. It just simply means that we are living in the now and not yet. He declares us set apart, holy in God, and we're not yet fully set apart. We, we still live out in this flesh. There's still the war going on in our life. There's still that progress of us being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And we'll look at that more in just a moment, just kind of setting the stage of this prayer itself. Now notice this is exactly what he is praying for. Read verse 23 with me now. May the God of peace himself sanctify you, there's the word, make you holy, complete, that you may, or, or, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you as faithful, he will surely do it. Now, the first thing I want to notice in our text this morning is the person to whom Paul is addressing. I think it's very important. He is calling, and, and he, he begins this, as most people understand this, as, as breaking out into prayer. It's not uncommon for him to do that as he's going along. He oftentimes break out, 
breaks out into praise or prayer or any of those things. And so as he began this epistle with prayer, so he ends it with his prayer for the people. He doesn't plead to the people, now may you get yourself fixed before you get there. That's very important to understand, does he? He says, now may the God of peace. He is calling upon God to do this work in you. And it's always when we start with ourselves, we go wrong, isn't it? As you walk this Christian life, as you deal with this life, when you start with yourself, uh, you tend to err. And here Paul doesn't point us to ourselves. He points us to God, the God of peace. We see that very same thing in Philippians. As he tells us in Philippians 1.6, we read those words. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So what is he saying? This kind of process of sanctification It begins and ends with God. He's pleading with God to do this work. This kind of surety we'll look at in verse number 24. He's beginning with God. But not just God in a general sense. He's not just saying God in general as some kind of force or some kind of good idea or some wishful thinking. What we come to understand in the doctrine of sanctification and what God is doing in our life is the fullness of God is engaged in it. All of God. The Trinity, as we come to uh, to declare it, is engaged in our sanctification. We see that in Ephesians 1. You can turn back there with me. <clears throat> Ephesians 1. We'll just read verses uh, 4 and 5. Well, we'll begin in verses number 3. Paul writing to the Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He goes on speaking about this choosing us before the foundation of the world. He says he predestined us for adoption of his son through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Both this reality of God's choice, his, his predestined uh, The work of predestination in our life leads to this effect, this event of our sanctification. Notice what he says back in verse number 4. He chose us in him, not just randomly or arbitrarily just to be choosing, but his purpose and calling and doing this work in our life is so that we would be holy and blameless before him. So at the very heart of the Father, his plan in in choosing us, his plan in predestination is so that he might sanctify a people that would be before him holy and blameless in love. You see, we are chosen in Christ. It is in Christ. We are sanctified. We read that in 1 Corinthians. 1 Peter speaks about the same thing concerning the Holy Spirit. In chapter number 1, verse number 2, it is for the obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood we are sanctified by the spirit of god so what i I just want you to see that at this prayer paul prays for their sanctification his his understanding what we come to understand the word of god is all of god is involved in it i don't know what that does for you or whether it's supposed to do anything for you or not emotionally or 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 mentally but it gives me great confidence in what is being said God's not at odds with himself, or the Trinity is not at odds. Who's going to do this and who's going to do that? And, and, and in all of that, working perfectly, harmoniously together for our sanctification. That's who Paul is praying to. But notice back in 1 Thessalonians, it's not just God in the general sense, but it is the God of peace. 
It's a term we see elsewhere in Romans, 1 Corinthians, most notably uh, Philippians chapter number 4. Twice he speaks about the peace of God, which, which has more to do with the, the disposition, the tranquility of mind, uh, and the peace experienced through that. And then you see later on in verse number 9, the God of peace will be with you. That has more to do with the relational aspect. And I think that's what he's pointing out here in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 23. Chapter number five. Here he's speaking to the God of peace, the God who brings peace. It is the one who makes peace with himself. We we see this prayer and this this declaration, this cry of, of being sanctified, and he's not praying to someone that we're still at odds with. He's not quite made up his mind about you this morning yet. You know, like there's still some friction going on. Yeah, you know, he kind of forgave you, but he's still leaving it out there to see whether or not. It's worth it. In this kind of some ways, people kind of live their Christian life. No, he's speaking to the God who has made peace. That's the very proclamation of the gospel. It's, it's no reason, for no reason, we see in the Old Testament, Christ being portrayed as the prince of what? It's peace, isn't it? It's the God who brings peace and, and gives peace. God has made peace through the cross of Jesus Christ. Our petitions can be heard, our, our confidence, and, and all that we anticipate, especially concerning the day of the Lord, can be given to us because of the peace he has made with himself for us through Jesus Christ. He is the God of peace. And there's a contrast to this found earlier in verse number 3 of chapter number 5. While people are saying there is peace and security, there is this false sense of peace as it comes before the day of the Lord. Or as it comes when it, in relationship to God himself. And then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. He's, he's emphasizing there is a false peace that this world kind of musters up or, or declares to each other, but it's not real. But there is a real peace which we have confidence in the day of the Lord, which we can cry out to the God of peace and we can have that comfort and hope. It begins here with this character and demonstration of God's love towards us. And we know what the Bible teaches. Many of us do. Maybe you don't hear this morning, but it teaches us that we are at enmity with God in the flesh. No one in the flesh, no one born uh, in this world from its beginning, save that of Jesus Christ himself, was ever born that was not at enmity with God. So from the nursery to right here, everyone in this room, we were born in a disposition of being at war with God Almighty. That's pretty silly, isn't it? And yet that is what the Bible teaches. We are at war with him. We're at enmity with him. Now, in some cases, some of us were at more at war or more blatantly rebellious and defiant against God with our fist raised up against heaven than, than others were. Some of us were more comfortable in our own morality or some kind of self-righteousness. But yet the, the truth still remains. All of us were born at odds at enmity with God. And yet what we see through the gospel that God has brought peace to us. That's why we read, as you read the Christmas story, what we call the Christmas story, uh, that the angels singing peace on earth, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and goodwill towards men because God has moved to take away that animosity, that enmity through the person of Jesus Christ. 
All have sinned and fallen short of his glory, and the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. And not a person is exempt from that, but what, what we preach week after week, what we see in his word, what we've seen throughout the centuries is people standing up. It doesn't have to be this way. God has made amends. He's made peace through the person of Jesus Christ. John says that Christ came so that he might be the propitiation. That's a, that's a nice word, kind of sits on your coffee table about like sanctification, right? What do you do with it? But Christ becoming that propitiation, in other words, he's come to satisfy the judgment or the justice of the wrath of God. So in his propitiation, we might be received not just as not lawbreakers, not just declared righteous, but brought into the family of God and declared sons. That's what he said. You remember we read that in Ephesians 1, chapter number 1, verse number 5, where he has predestined us to the adoption of what? Sons. So here, the God of peace, this God who has come to, to bring peace, gives us this hope and anticipation that we will be accepted in his sight, holy and blameless. Well, that is comforting for us. And I hope that's comforting for you this morning. He has come and made peace through the cross of his son so that you might be made the righteousness of God, so that you may be given everlasting life. And if you're here this morning, you don't have that peace. What, what do you have? I see all for Christ is extending to you even this morning. Come to me and I will no wise cast you out or I will, I will not turn away anyone that comes to him by faith. Come and receive the peace, the fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. But secondly, not only the person in which Paul prays to, which is significant, but also the petition which he asks for, as we see in verse number 23. And that is that this God of peace himself, again, notice the, the declaration in the prayer that he would himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. ESV translates this, as you've heard me repeat, several times completely. You may have an NIV which says through and through. Or another translation uh, says entirely. And all of it communicating the same thing. What he is praying is that God would thoroughly, not leaving one part out, thoroughly renovate us sanctify us every aspect of our life not cobble something together hope we get there and hope it all works out at the end like throwing paint on a barn it's about to fall down doesn't make any sense we do that with stuff right some of us you look at me like you've never done that or or just try to fix things up so so it might work and get through the end of the day He's praying that God would just kind of limp his thing along and, and, and hope it works out. And then he's praying that God would thoroughly, rigorously sanctify us from beginning to end. Every aspect of us. You see that in that, that next declaration of the whole spirit, soul, and body. I don't think he's dividing us up into three aspects. You may think that. I don't think he's doing that. I think he's just repeating what he's saying thoroughly, through and through. Uh, but what he is saying is that God would renovate us, sanctify us in all aspects of our life. Not one stone left unturned. That might make you a little nervous this morning. But that through our mind, our thought, our affection, our will, that God would sanctify. Completely, thoroughly sanctify us. And it's only God that can do that. 
We read in the New Testament of those who who had leaned towards religion as their way of renovating their their lives or a way of of kind of dealing with the problem of sin. Jesus talks about the Pharisees in this category and speaks of them as being whitewashed. What? Well, it looks really nice on the outside. Pretty and it's white and and the sun glistens as it comes over the, the, the hill there in Jerusalem and it just gleams as, as people just come by and it's just really nice. But it's full of dead people. And he's saying to the Pharisees, your life is like this is your religion. Your religion is nothing more than just a, a, a facade. At best, they, uh, they're like in another place where he says they're like a cup that looks really useful on the outside. You just look at it, you go to grab the cup, and then when you get ready to pour your coffee in, you're like, that's disgusting. It hasn't been washed in weeks. It's full of filth and gross. And, and he's saying this is their religion, which we see in the Bible and all around the world. People trying to renovate their own lives with some kind of man-made attempt. And it's useless, it's pointless, it'll never work. Some of you may even experience that in your own life. You try to do all the things and you try to fill out all the things and, 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 and you did a good job, but it just didn't deal with the real issue. Well, it can't. It's like the self-willed, self-made man. I can do it all by my will and white-knuckling this thing and, and be a better person. No, you're not. You're, you're hard to be around. And everything's got to be in your way because you've got to control it all, you know. It, it just will never work. It will never work. I was speaking to a lady one time years ago, and I don't know how we got on the conversation, but they mentioned that they had never missed a, a Sunday in church in five years or six years, whatever it was, never missed Sunday school or any of those things. And I was like, wow. Why? I know it's good and we want to be in church, want to be around the Lord's people, but why keep score? Something's wrong with that. Now, I don't know. I think she loved the Lord. I don't know. But something's wrong in that thinking that, that if I do all these right things, then, then, and then surely the end will work out fine. It, that's not it. It can never do that. Religion can never do that. They are ineffective and powerless. And secondly, not only do we see that in, in this passage of Scripture, in this declaration of God himself, sanctify you completely, thoroughly, but it also brings to mind that God is concerned with all of us. Not just did you believe in Christ and, 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 and the rest of your life, just live it any way you want to live it. No, God is concerned with every aspect of our life. Thoroughly sanctify us through and through I think there's a warning here for us to be reminded of, and that is we are a work still in progress. Amen? Me and two of you agree with that. We are a work still in progress. The, the, the statement that he makes here is that he may present us blameless when? You read it. It's right in front of you, right? At the day of the Lord, when the Lord comes back, it, it isn't that we will be in this life or that we will ever achieve in this life this kind of idea that we've arrived. That we are thoroughly through and through sanctified in this world. And, and some of you trying to attempt that or live that life maybe led to some kind of frustration and, 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 and really just downright discouragement and defeat. Now, we're not ever going to receive this. I think Paul said that in Philippians where he says, I've not attained, but I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling God. I have not got there yet. I've not arrived, yet I press forward. 
I think that is clear in understanding some teaching back in Wesley's day. Wesley uh, kind of come up with some of this of uh, in England, uh, elsewhere, that permeated the scene in Christianity and still kind of floats around in Christian circles now, a doctrine which they call perfectionism. Um, maybe you don't refer to it as that, but it is, it is considered an entire sanctification where you've got to a place where you really have, you're there. I don't know what everybody else's problem is. Maybe you not say that, of course, out loud. You know, but, but you don't know what everybody else's problem is, but if they could just see the view from where you're at, they would get on board. So you've reached this kind of place to where, as some preachers during Wesley's day and Spurgeon, who, who um, hated this as well, hated this and, and spoke against this, would say, you know, I, I've just got to a place where I don't sin no more. I don't sin anymore. And, uh, you know, the statement itself is self-defeating, right, or, or self-condemning. Uh, other realms of Christianity, uh, such as the higher life movement and Keswick movement and other things like that, has, has really kind of put pressure years ago into this idea that if you just get to this victorious Christian life, right, get on the winning side, get on the victory side of, of living the Christian life. And if you do this, then you won't have problems. You won't have the same struggles as everybody else does because you're living in victory and, and those things like that. I don't think that is in the Bible anywhere. I think that is dangerous, I think it is a heresy, and I think it is damaging to one's own spiritual walk. Because it goes back to what we said at the beginning of this. It puts all of the weight on you and your performance and and what you've done and you praying the right prayer or surrendering or coming to the altar the right way. And, and, you know, after that, you, you did these three steps. And all of that focus is on you and what you did. And if you're not living the victorious life, you just didn't pray right or surrender right or, or believe right. And, and how do you just muster those things up anyway? It's an endless, continual cycle of frustration and reaching for something that you're never going to have. Now, it's not to say we're not to live holy and pursue righteousness and holiness. But that kind of teaching puts a burden on people which, which is contrary to the very life that they experience. You know in this life that you fall short. You ought to anyway. If you don't, you fall short in not knowing that you fall short. And so what you see is that this is a progress which God is taking us through. He's a, it's not something that we arrived at. It's something that we progress in. We grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We grow in Christ's likeness. We grow in our pursuit of righteousness and, and, and our display of those. And I think that is very important. Paul says, turn with me in Romans. We'll just look at uh, one passage just to kind of solidify that before we move on. Romans chapter number 7, chapter number 6. We have been uh, freed from the the um, slavery of sin, Romans 7, you see this kind of, and I know there's a lot of debate about this. If you want to talk about it later, we can do that. Uh, but I interpret this as Paul the Christian, Paul the Apostle, dealing with sin in his life. That's the way I interpret this, and, and you're free to have your opinion. So anyway, he says in verse number 14, of chapter number 7, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not know or I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. You see that tension there, don't you? 
How many of you ever felt that in your life? Apostle Paul felt that you're in good company. That's good to know. He goes through this list. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. It's not the problem with the law. The problem is with me. It's the problem of my own flesh. So that um, he goes on for, I know, verse number 18, that nothing good dwells in who? Me. And some of you probably said you, but it's really me. It's in the text. You can read that. It's awful. I shouldn't have said that out loud. For I have a desire to do what is right, but the ability to carry it out. That's the thing. He laments. He says, for I do not do the good I want, but evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find to be a law when I want to do right. Evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war. The law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And notice this kind of climactic lament. Woe is a wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. I was actually thinking of a different translation when I said that. But you see the, the thing that he's lamenting in his own life. That presence, the reality of what's going on, the struggle, the war, which he, he, he speaks about in his life. The war goes on. There's that enmity in chapter number 8. He doesn't leave us without hope and without victory. We're to mortify sin in our body, but it points to this continual process. We're continually being conformed into the image of Christ. We're continually battling sin in our own members. I don't always love God the way I ought to love God. Neither do you. And I don't always love my neighbor as I ought to love my neighbor. And I hate to say this, but neither do you. It doesn't leave us hopeless. What it brings back to the reality that God is working in our life. He is conforming us to the image of Christ. And he is, uh, he is leading us along in that process of sanctification. Process of sanctification. Now, I think that's a word of encouragement. Because we're not always going to be what we are. We are being changed, and one day we will be changed completely. It'll be over one day. It'll be finished. I don't know how it was the years that, that the, the remodeling process, I think it was rather a long period of time with the ministry center being remodeled. Was it five, seven years, something like that? It finally was done, you know. What a joy. But that is the way our life is. We're continually, God is working in our lives, bringing those things up, changing those things, uh, sometimes painfully so. One day we will be completely, thoroughly sanctified in Christ Jesus, conformed to his image. We are, we shall be manifestly, it will be evident in the display of our new body uh, as we stand before him that we are new men and women in Christ. But I want to say this very clearly, very plainly. We are now. We are now new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things now are passed away and all things become new and we are being transformed from one level of glory to another little by little. And that is the Lord's doing. That's what he says in Second Corinthians. What great comfort that is. 
Well, let me give you the third thing here as we uh, look at this and come to a close, found in verse number 24. Not only do we see the petition which he prays for, the person with whom he pleads, but the promise he gives found in verse number 24. And we began this by saying it is the God of peace himself who will sanctify us and present us at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse number 24, he just keeps adding on this kind of confidence. When he says, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. That is just a really, really comforting passage. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Notice he doesn't say you who are faithful will surely get it done. He doesn't say your parents or your grandparents or he doesn't say all this other stuff that we could attribute, we could we could rest and put our hope and confidence in that it's all going to get worked out. He says him, he, God himself, the God of peace, the, the father of glories, we read in other places, God almighty, it is he who is faithful, he will surely do it. It is God who has begun the work in you. We've seen that. It is he who has called you. Go back to chapter number 1 of Thessalonians with me. He speaks about the conversion of the church as he reiterates their testimony before them and and just that level of, of rejoicing and praising that he gives as he begins in verse number 2, he says, we, thank, or we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he, he's reiterating through this passage how that they are, have been faithful and they're loving and they're an example to other believers and, and the word of God is going out from them all over the place. And what does that lead him to do? They're, they're waiting on the Lord Jesus Christ eagerly for his return. They, they've turned away from idols and uh, into serving the living God, that, that beautiful sign of repentance that we see in the word of God. And it leads him to give confidence and praise to God. He says, remembering before our God, as we said in verse number three, verse number four, for we know, brothers, love by God that he has chosen you. What is he saying? He said all of this evidence brings his, his mind back to the reality that all of this is the work of God in their life. And it is God who began this work in them. And, and he's just magnifying and rejoicing in the fruit of that work in Thessalonica. And he's saying, we know God has loved you. We know he's chosen you. We just see it evident all over your lives. The same confidence we find back in chapter number uh, Five and verse number 24, verse number 23, 24, as this, this emphasis, it is he who has called you. He's who started this thing. And I know I've said it over and over, and, and I hope you don't tire, tire of me saying, God doesn't start stuff that he doesn't finish. That probably come out wrong, but he always finishes what he starts. Always. He never leaves it undone. Never leaves it undone. And I don't know about you, but I find that very, very comforting. 
I find the reality that, that my salvation, and going back to what he says in Hebrews chapter number 12, the author of my salvation, the author of my faith, and the finisher of it is the same one person, Jesus Christ. Not me, or, or he started it and you finish it, you know, kind of thing, right? No. It's all in the same hands. The same competent, omniscient, almighty hands from beginning to end. What comfort we can take from that this morning. He began it, we'll finish it. Our salvation is secure from the first to last. Why? Because of him, because he is faithful. He's faithful. Now, I don't know how you did in your Bible reading this year. I'm not asking you to confess at this point. You got a new year coming up, you can start all over. But maybe you got halfway through Exodus and you, and you kind of thought, I'd have done let the people stay in Egypt. They wanted to go back so many times. Let them go. Start over. I know you wouldn't think that way because you're sanctified. Amen. That's good. And I'm, I'm a work in progress. But he that began the good work will finish it. He that called them out of Egypt was faithful to bring about the promise of leading them into the promised land. Paul is just taking that same theology and saying it's true in your own life. He who began it, he who called you is faithful. He will do it. He will surely, surely do it. I don't know. Sometimes we tire of people pretty often. <laughs> it's probably more of a confession time I should, should have done before I got here. They just don't get it, you know. We, we try or we give effort or, or, or people are just stubborn or difficult. They want to do their own thing, go their own way. And if I'm describing you that this morning, good. I'm not alone. And in all of that, we wonder how in the world we can endure another conversation or another moment or whatever the case may be. Or we deal with those tensions and relationships. But I'm just going to say God is not us. Can I say that this morning? Do you understand what I mean by that? God is not us. You know, because when you begin looking at this as, as a preacher, you, you tend to think of, of other people, you know, applications. I'm going to make this applicable. And then halfway through that, I begin thinking of my own self, which was probably where I should have started at. And, and wonder not how in the world could God them, but how could God with me? And yet what we read, God is faithful. He will finish what he started in you. Your own stubbornness at times, your own sit in your own way, your own difficulty, and all those things will not impede or hinder the work God will do and is doing in your life. At times you might make it more painful on yourself, right? Amen? And yet we still have that confidence that he will finish the work he started. If he started the work, he will finish the work. Surely he will do it. What a great... Great hope that is. You know, he is not in need of a vacation. God never takes a day off. He, he's never like, you know, I'm trying to get this group of people here in the Adirondacks sanctified, but they're just really difficult. You know, is it, <laughs> saying Murray and I have picked up difficult, difficult. Well, I won't go into it, but just difficult. And I just had my wits in and I just need a break. God's not like 
And he, he never wears out. He never tires. He's never exhausted in showing mercy and grace to his people. He's never overwhelmed by the fact that we don't always get it because we don't always get it. No, he welcomes us to come to him. We come to the throne of grace with boldness in Christ Jesus. Come, is what he says. I think there's no greater word in the Bible than that of that invitation, come. Because over and over we're referred to come to him, to the fountain, come to him to the source of all strength and encouragement. No struggle we're facing, let alone the times we live in, will hinder his work in our lives. He will finish what he started in us. Surely he will do it. I don't think that surely is a question. He will finish it. I was reading a quote from um, John Bunyan in that book, Gentle and Lowly. I know I gave out enough of those books. Everybody should have had one or been close to someone, exposed to someone who has had one. Uh, So you can borrow it. Maybe they're done with it by now. But speaking about the, uh, the love of God and and our struggle with legalism in our own life, that it is all me, it's all me, it's all what I do. John Bunyan says this to a friend of his. Are you not amazed sometimes that you should have so much as hope? Poor and needy as you are, the Lord thinks of you. But let not all you feel discourage you. For if our physician is almighty, our disease cannot be desperate. And if you cast none out that come to him, why should you fear? Our sins are many, but his mercies are more. Our sins are great, but his righteousness is greater. We are weak, but he is power. Most of our complaints are owing to the unbelief that the rewarder, or, or to unbelief and the remainder of a legal spirit. I tell you this morning as the word of God calls us and it does it tells us to put off and put on it calls us to labor and stand steadfast and to labor while it is day it calls us to love and forgive and it calls us to 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 live our lives not so focused on this world but live for another world it it calls us in all of these areas and presses on us to press forward but in all of that it is God's grace working through us through the strength that he provides And the comfort is that as we live this out, as we attempt this, as we fall along the way, His grace picks us up and reminds us, don't worry, I will finish this thing once and for all one day. Keep on going. As we look back at these 17 commands and many more found in 1 Thessalonians and, every, and, and many of the other books in the Bible reminded that it is the prayer, it is the prerogative of God and His power that works within us that will do this work and will finish it one day fully. I kind of wonder what it's going to look like when we see each other <laughs> through the lens of a glorified body. You know, I, I think we'll recognize each other, but man, I think you'll be different. God will finish what he started. And some of you this morning are living in the frustration of your own work and your own effort and your own power and what you can do, and it is futile. You'll never get there. You'll never be satisfied. You'll never be fulfilled. You'll never do enough. And, and it leads you to this, this kind of, either in one sense, thinking so much of yourself that it's just bloated, out of proportion, or, or continually just never finding the joy that's found in Jesus Christ. 
I would just ask you, I would encourage you, I would challenge you, turn to Christ now. Rejoice in who he is and what he has provided for you at the cross and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Rest in him and call on him. He will finish what he started. Some of us need to be reminded of that because we, we've wrestled with our own security of our own salvation. Am I saved or am I not saved? Am I, am I good? Am I not good? And all of it rests not in our own hands, but in him who is faithful. If he has called you into himself, he will finish what he started. You can rest in that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we gathered together this morning. Thank you for this glorious letter which we have by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the hand of Paul to the church at Thessalonica. Thank you for the many reminders over the past weeks we have looked at and we have seen. We've been challenged by, encouraged by, and and, and even at times rebuked by. Lord, I pray that you would use this in our lives, not as we lay it down and move on to something else, but as it continues to be seed for the soil of our own hearts and our own lives as we continue to trust you, rest in you, rejoice in you as you continue to conform us to the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.